Maybe someday I'll get off of uh, Sufficient Grace, but this is Sufficient Grace Part 4, but I incorporated it into the title, <laughs> Sufficient Grace for God's Plan. <laughs> so, Sufficient Grace for God's Plan. Now, we, we, we need to, the whole concept, I guess, that we're trying to, uh, for us to grasp is what God has given not only for us, but to us. Our, our life is not what we have. Our life is who we are. And it's not what we're living, it's how you're living. <laughs> and how are you getting along with you? And sometimes we need to see ourselves as not necessarily the person who is making all this happen, we see ourselves as an instrument of God being moved by his grace and his will for our lives. And we have to understand that God has presented these things to us. And he's presented his promises, he's presented his forgiveness, he's presented his Holy Spirit, the, the, that God will divide severally the gifts of the Spirit. He will divide them severally as he wills that he will give to us the gifts, but he also has the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, long-suffering, forbearance, and he presents these things, and fruit grows, gifts are bestowed. So in the giving of God's grace, in the beginning of God's plan for our life, he bestows these things upon us. He, he puts them there, he places them there before us. And so we then have to have enough faith, <laughs> enough faith to recognize that the gifts are here and that we need to open the door to be receptive of them. Now, if somebody knocks at your door, at your house, um, they generally wait until you open the door. <laughs> well, God is the same way. He is knocking at our heart's door, presenting forgiveness and we have to open up the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. So God is knocking at our heart's door for us to receive salvation. But so, is, so are all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has for us. So are all the fruits. So are all these blessings that God has knocking on the door to present. Now, we have to believe that when God is knocking, we should open the door. Okay? We should believe that God is knocking at the heart of our lives. It's, you know, I, I, I'm amazed sometimes at conversations and people and things. Um, well, I'll start with Jeremiah 29, 11. This is where I want to start. And, I, and we've done this scripture, I know, a number of times, but... It's just one of those that you, you can't let go. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I say this because I know the plans that I have for you. This message is from the Lord, okay? So we should probably start it off with that phrase. This message is from the Lord because I know the I have good plans for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. So God has planned grace. Unmerited favor, God's special blessing. He sees you as his special, 
child, his loving, he loves you, his child. You can't do anything to make God love you more. You can't do anything to make God love you less, okay? His, you know, his planned grace, his planned favor. God has special plans for us. <laughs> you know, sometimes we would say that. I've got a special plan for you. <laughs> and we mean it in a, you know, in plan to hurt, you know. Okay, but God doesn't have that plan, all right? So planned favor, planned blessings, planned strength. Every time, and, and every time God says no, it is only because he is something better. Anytime there is something going wrong, God has something better going right. So our faith then begins to look at circumstances differently. You see, it all depends on how we look at things determines outcomes. You know, if you look at something expecting and looking for the negative, you're going to find it. So anyhow, God has a plan. <laughs> While you were yet in your mother's womb, God formed you. He put in there all the things that you need, all right? God has a purpose that for the talents and abilities and who you are as a person, God has a purpose for all of that. God has good plans for you. God has good plans for you. Amen. <laughs> God has good plans. Now, if you're, you're an architect, and, well, one of our, one of Rhonda's relatives is um, uh, an individual who plans the ductwork for the World Trade Center <laughs> in New York. And, um, you know, so, I mean, this is, yeah, that's a pretty big job. <laughs> um, and uh, he was saying, and, and uh, you may, you're going to hear this firsthand, <laughs> but um, he was saying that there are studies underway that because land is so landlocked in New York, that over the railroad stations, over the railroad terminal, over the whole railroad thing, they're going to put a platform on top of it and build on top of that, because you can't move the railroad, so you build above it. <laughs> There's a plan. You see, wherever we run into an obstacle, there is an, there is an outcome. There's something else that can, be, can see and can go from there. So from God to you, there are no plans to hurt you. So whenever we're looking at our life and we're receiving the grace of God, know this. There are no plans for your hurt or demise in God's plan for your life. Okay? <laughs> Make sure, okay? So, if bad things happen, don't worry about it. Start looking for the good. Start looking for how God is going to turn it around. Well, well what about people who are dying? Well, people who are dying are looking forward to going to heaven. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know the God has no plans to hurt you. So this is not, this is, you know, God's going to get even with you. for No, God doesn't get even. Our sins are what gets us off track. So from, from God to you, there are no plans to hurt you. From God to you, plans that fill you with hope. God's plans are there to fill you with hope. It, it's sad to say, you know, you listen to people, and they're just... They're just all bent out of shape about people and about life. 
You know, that's why I, I hate to, I don't, even, I don't even watch the news anymore. Because they're f- so filled with hate and disgust and despise. And it doesn't matter, sometimes it doesn't matter what view you have. They're always against something and something is always wrong. And it's always somebody's opinion. And a, and a critic is just someone who has elevated their opinion above someone else, someone else's. To try, overinflated, um, it's an overinflated opinion of themselves and their thoughts that they think everybody else should agree with them. You know, that's a critic, and there are lots of critics. And the 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 point of this message, the point of what we're trying to get across here today is, don't be a critic. Okay, now. Are we capable, there's a little question here, are you capable of receiving God's plans for your life? Are we capable of receiving them? The answer is yes. God is capable of presenting them to us by his grace, but we need to have the faith to um, be able to receive them into our life. Now, I'm going to look over some of you here today. All right, we got we got you here. I, I can't, there we go. Yeah, we got a magnifying glass here, and a critic. Now, what happens whenever we? And somewhere in here, I got a definition of a critic. But anyhow, we're trying to find something. Basically, we're trying to find something that is wrong. Now, if we look at it long enough and hard enough we're going to find something wrong. Now, if you want to know what an ideal pastor is, okay, I found this, so I'll pick on myself. Now, if I'm walking across here today, all right, I'm not on the, whatever that line is where they walk in the, yeah, you, know, uh, you know, it's that kind of whatever, display or whatever. Uh, you look and you think, okay, what does a pastor look like? You know, can you spot the pastor in a congregation? <laughs> Can you spot the pastor in the mall? But there is no mall anymore. But anyhow, can you, spot, can you spot a pastor? What he looks like? Well, what are you looking for? Well, the ideal pastor is a difficult find. But if your church is fortunate, you may be able to secure his services. Since he is the ideal pastor, it won't cost very much. He lives by faith. Yet he can be counted upon to tithe heavily and still be able to afford a large house in which he will regularly entertain the entire congregation. He loves the older folks of the church, visits them regularly. Besides this, he spends all of his time with the young people. The glow on his face reveals his secret. He spent many hours on his knees before God. However, he's always available to anyone who drops in for a friendly chat. The ideal pastor loves to disciple new converts and gives full-time attention to calling on the elderly, the ill, and the shut-ins. He has a model family, is always in the church office when you call, and he is always busy at the hospital just looking for those souls to comfort. I'm skipping over. There's a lot more here. The ideal pastor has a worldwide ministry through television, radio, tapes, and books. Thank you very much. Um... However, he listens to everyone's problems and wants to be updated on everything. The ideal pastor is only 29 and has been preaching for 30 years. (laughs) He preaches sermons that win the hearts of the lost and inspires the minds of the mature. 
He produces miracles like Smith Wigglesworth and teaches faith like Kenneth Hagin. <laughs> he evangelizes like Billy Graham and has the eloquence of Spurgeon <laughs> and the fervor of Moody. If you don't know who those guys are, it's okay. They're, history. They're, they're big guys in history. Yet he is so profoundly simple, <laughs> that's, that's me, uh, that even a preschoolers are blessed. Um, the ideal pastor comp comprehends the complexities of the church finances, yet has mastered uh, the church budget. Um, he's easily spotted. Just look for the man dressed in the latest style suit and colored coordinated outfit he found at the bottom of the missionary barrel. <laughs> but knows how important it is to impress the well-to-do newcomers uh, with clothes that say success and achievement. The ideal pastor is tall, short, lean, and husky, with brown hair and blonde, eye, blonde hair. Brown hair and blonde hair. He has a deep, resonant voice, which, because it is quite loud, pleases everyone and is audible to the heart of hearing. He can sing, lead music, and delegates authority to everyone. Besides this, he helps each layman and does all the things that people need or are too busy to do you are probably, probably sure that you know that you don't have the ideal pastor. <laughs> so, but you see, we all look for something different. We all see something from a different perspective, from our personal, from our personal need. Now, if we look at our, and the challenge is, if we are critical of ourselves, we will be critical of others. You thought I was going to say it the other way around. <laughs> if you're critical of others, you'll be critical of yourself. No, if you can't get along with you, you're certainly not going to allow yourself to get along with others. <laughs> because if you're fault-finding with who you are, you'll be fault-finding with who they are. If you're fault-finding with who they are, you're probably fault-finding with who you are. And if you are fault-finding and being critical, you don't get anywhere because you're always spinning your wheels in the mud and knowing that you're going somewhere, you just can't figure out where it is. <laughs> and, and so we, we go over this whole thing about, you know, short, tall, fat, brown hair, blonde hair, blue-eyed, one-eyes blue, one-eyes brown, you know, <laughs> wears glasses, wears contacts, you know, eloquent but yet simple. We all have certain things we look for. You know... <laughs> To, to know how bad people can become. I was at a church business meeting. <laughs> Imagine that. At a church that was having lots of conflicts, you know, with their, their pastor and the board, and we went in as a, a group of ministers to help sort the things out. And the, uh, <laughs> I remember asking, you know, leading this group, I remember asking, well, what is it exactly you don't like about this pastor? One guy says, you know, he sweats too much when he preaches. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness. You know, we, we look at things, and now, that, if that's all you can find wrong, where are you looking? So, the other, and, and, and going on to the next set of scriptures, and this is one, and I'm not using this about in a condemning way, okay? You see how I, I'll turn it here in a minute. Judging others, Matthew chapter seven. Do not judge or criticize and condemn. Now, judge means to form an opinion or conclusion. Now, what 
Matthew and what they're looking at here is, you know, the, the Jewish people at this time, they were they considered and they were considered God's chosen people. Well, they are God's chosen people, and Gentiles were fuels for the fires of hell. Okay? They're just inferior people that God is going to judge and throw in hell. Well, as you know, we would think, well, that's that's a pretty poor opinion. But often religion is the same way. Anybody that doesn't belong to my church, my religion, well, you know, they're not really going to get to heaven. God isn't so judgmental. You see, so if we look at someone, you look at their clothes, you look at their hair, you look at their car, you look at their shoes. You know, we all have different things we look at. What are some of the things you look at? Huh? Huh? not going to tell me, huh? <laughs> do they, do they, you know, you know, are they dressed properly? You know, do they, oh, you know, what kind of glasses they have? What kind of car they drive? What kind of hairdo, you know? Oh, you know, I like to go to the mall or Walmart to look at people. <laughs> you want to get a real thrill? Go to Walmart in different communities. <laughs> Go to Walmart and Richland and Bedford and Somerset and, and Altoona and Indiana and, you know, all, go to the different Walmarts and look around and tell me what you see. <laughs> Some people are really different. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes, just sometimes, Lord, uh, <laughs> you know, look at people, I look at their clothes, okay? When people are really, really, really dirty. One of two things has happened. They just got off of work, and I have to be understanding. Number two, they've been at work for a week, and they've never washed their clothes. Or three, they're just dirty. <laughs> now, I have drawn a conclusion and an opinion. See, I have looked, I have seen, and I know. <laughs> and guess what? I've never spoken to them. I don't know their heart. I don't know whether they just came from work or whether they don't even have a washing machine. I don't know if they live in their car and they're live, trying to get enough money to get by to be able to buy something to eat or that's the only clothes they own. You see, we look at things and we form an opinion. See, that's where judgment is. You know, well, I don't want to judge. Well, you know, if you bite into an apple and you find half a worm... you got a good chance the other half's inside your mouth, okay? That's not a judgment. <laughs> that is an assessment, okay? But the judgment says all apples have worms. Okay, I run into a guy who is clean and, you know, has a suit on, and he's a liar and a thief and a cheat. Well, that means everybody who wears a suit is a liar and a thief. No. You see, our judgments and the, the idea of, okay, let's turn this around, how do we judge ourselves? How critical are we of ourselves to the point, <laughs> are we critical of ourselves to the point that we're paralyzed? Meaning that if I go left, I'll be wrong. If I go right, I'll be wrong. If I go forward or if I stay, if I go backwards, it's You know, we're always jumping to a conclusion that 
isolates us from others and then we start to isolate others from us. Oh. Okay, so do not judge and criticize. Criticism is a fault of someone in a, disappro- a disapproving way. You know, I know they put $1,000 in the offering, but they didn't do it the right way. I once did that. I helped someone out and gave them money, and they, they never, never saw them again. And I got word that they didn't like the way I gave them the money. <laughs> they never paid it back. <laughs> you know, they, never, they didn't like the way. You see, we can't be thankful to God for what we get, but we can be thankful to God for what we give. And, and the point I was trying to make was, you need to do something more than wait for somebody to come and rescue you. That's just the way it goes. So, but you can't, you can't condemn them for who they are because who they are, how far, where is it at? How did it get that way and where did it come from? Maybe it's all they know. And so we, condemning them separates ourselves from them. And one guy said, that which offends me only weakens me. That which offends me only weakens me. So when I'm offended, I don't go forward. <laughs> when I'm offended, I'm, I'm pulling back. Jesus, he's on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not offended by them. He's forgiving them. <laughs> They're killing him. It's okay. This is my purpose. God has a plan His plan is not to hurt you. So if God's plan is not to hurt you and this hurts you, then how am I supposed to respond to this? How am I supposed to respond to this? I'm supposed to forgive them. Like fun. I'm not going to forgive them. (laughs) You know? Hang them. It'll teach them a lesson. (laughs) That was a t-shirt. You ever saw that one? Well, they got rid of it. They threw it out because, you know, nobody would wear it. But anyhow, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the idea is, so, uh, you know, we want to see ourselves. The grace of God is sufficient. Sufficiency of grace is that God has a plan for my life. All right. When things add up in our additional system here, we come to the conclusion. And, we, and often we come to the wrong conclusion because we're using the wrong magnifying glass. One kid, um, his dad got him a telescope, and uh, he was looking out the upstairs window, and he was looking at it backwards, you know? And his dad says, son, you're looking at that backwards. He says, yeah, I know. I'm looking at the bully down the street. He looks so small from here. (laughs) You see, we can flip that around, and everything seems so big. But God, you know, we have to have this grounding principle that says God has a plan. God has a future. And what's the, what's the final one? God has a good future. He has promises that will come to pass. All right. So if we feel, if we feel like and we look for failure. Oh, we've got to finish this upper one. Okay. Do not judge and criticize and condemn. 
Um, do not con- this is the Amplified. It says, uh, others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority. So don't get on this kick of I'm better than everybody else, nor do we get on the kick I'm less than or worse than everybody else. Both of those are based in pride. I am so proud I am better than them. I am so proud God can't forgive me. I am so bad, even God can't get a hold of me. Pride. So we want to look at ourselves. I am thankful to God that this is who I am. See, I don't have anybody to compare myself with. I don't need to be a critic. I need to be a complimenter. I don't need to criticize myself or criticize others. I need to find the good in my own life and the lives of others. Now, so that you will not be judged unfairly. I I like this because... Do not judge or criticize or condemn as though assuming the uh, a role of a judge so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, you will be judged. And in accordance with the standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. <laughs> I used to read that and I would say, I would think, well, God... If I don't have judgment, then I can't be judged. <laughs> okay, yeah, some similar to what it says. The same judgment you use will be judged back at you. And, you know, it's like, okay, God, is, am I setting the standard here? Am I setting the rules for how judgment is going to be assessed against me? Well, one of the ways that it's looked at is the same judgment you use on others is the same standard you'll use back at you. <laughs> see the same standard we use to judge others you will be judged in your own head and heart you're <laughs> you're you're thrown at you're looking right at it so that's why god is telling us to forgive others as you have been forgiven forgive as you have been forgiven forgive others and um well there's another one i just slipped through my head but it's important that we see how that God is at work with a divine plan and a divine purpose so that we can, do the, we can do the right thing for the right reason. All right. So we always notice things from our point of view. Now, um, Joseph sold into prison by his brothers. Okay? He sold into prison by his brothers and, you know, 13 years. <laughs> He's... In prison, rises in Potiphar's house and framed by Potiphar's wife, goes to, goes to he's sold as a slave and in, in Potiphar's, Potiphar's employment as a slave. Then he goes to prison, he's there, forgotten about. And then he interprets dreams and he's second in command. And See, God had a plan, but Joseph had to rise above his circumstances. He had to see his circumstances as the hand of God. Or he would have never used his abilities to rise to the top. Now, we would think if God has a plan, he certainly wouldn't be betrayed by his brothers. His brothers would have liked him. (laughs) They didn't. Uh, So he goes to Potiphar's house, he's up there best and good-looking man. (laughs) Potiphar's wife wants him. And he frames and goes to prison. He's forgotten, but he interprets dreams. And the guy interprets a dream for he ends up second in command of Egypt. 
Then his brothers come for food. All right? When his brothers come for food, they bow down to him just as Joseph had told them they would. <laughs> but they didn't recognize it was him, Joseph. You see, and, and Joseph is so, the life of Joseph is one of those, you can go back at it in many different ways, but the life of Joseph is such that the sufficiency of God's grace to take you through each of the difficulties as you are on your way up. Well, being sold by his brothers isn't on his way up, but yet it's part of a divine plan for good. You see, we can't get caught up in where we're at to determine where we're going. Who's in charge of you? You are. And we cannot allow other people to steer your ship. <laughs> That's your ship. And your see, the, the, the rudder of our ship is the tongue. <laughs> you know, talks about that, you know, is it, your tongue sets the course for your life, basically. So what are we saying about others? What are we saying about the government? <laughs> what are we saying about the neighbors? What are we saying about the family? What are we saying about ourselves? Grace for us. God's promise of provision. I'm going to skip way to the end here. Um, you see, what effect has the judgment of others, not only what we about them, but they about us, what effect has it had upon our lives? Have the opinions, have the judgments of others caused you to water down your dreams? There will always be critics. There will always be people who say that you can't do it, that nobody can do it, and especially somebody like you can never do it. Those are critics. Those are people that nobody ever builds a monument to. <laughs> never build a monument to a critic. One of the most important things you can learn is that people don't have to believe in you in order for your dreams to come true. Other people don't have to believe what is, what is coming in your life. Only you do. And that's why as a, the, the, the sufficiency of God's grace is that he places the dreams and the desires in our hearts for for a direction for us to go, and we can't stand, a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does, Scripture says. What is a double-minded person? Driven by the wind and tossed. I can do it. No, he can't. <laughs> I'm really good at this. Not really that good. <laughs> I'm going to beat this. No, you can't. <laughs> you see, we're, <laughs> which way do I go? <laughs> We're the chicken little mentality. Sky is falling, sky is falling. How do you know? Well, an apple came down. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but always in a crisis. Always in a form of something's wrong. You know what? When something is wrong, there had to be something right. In order for something to go wrong, there had to be something right. What was right? What is the right that we're looking for? All right, other people don't set the limits for your life. 
We do. It's not what others say about you or how they judge you that affects your life. It's what you say and believe about yourself. So, what we want to say and believe about ourselves. Okay, ready for this? This is the sufficiency of grace for God's plan in my life. There is more grace available to me for my life and for the things that I need to accomplish because God has a purpose. God has a will. I know the plans I have for you, God says. I know what they are. And we need to get in line with the plans. And how do I get in line for the plans? I open my heart for the grace and the mercy of God to override, and I want them to override, my thoughts, my criticisms, my judgments of myself. (laughs) There's only one person that I'm accountable to, and that's God. Now, we need to make ourselves accountable to other people. I mean, you know, I'm accountable to God only, and none of you can tell me what to do. That's, you don't want to follow that guy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's somebody off on their own planet. God wants to bless our lives. He has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And you see, it doesn't matter if other people don't believe Their unbelief is not going to keep me from believing my dreams. And their unbelief cannot cancel out the grace, the mercy, the promises of God. Amen? Let's stand. So God's promise to us, grace sufficient for our plan, for God's plans for our life. I keep forgetting my title. Sufficiency of grace for God's plan. There we go. The sufficiency of grace for God's plan. The sufficiency of grace for God's plan. God's grace is sufficient for us. And God promises, I will never. Well, in Hebrews 13, it says, I will not, I will not, I will not ever forsake you. Jesus, we thank you for hearing our prayers, and Lord, we receive your word to our hearts, and we receive your grace and your mercy, and it is sufficient for us. And that, God, you have a plan. (laughs) You have a plan for us, and it is good. You have a purpose for us, and you will fulfill it. You have a good future for us, and we will live it. Amen? We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you.